God bless you. Thank you, guys. What a wonderful time. Rick DeBose and his wife, Rita, are our general uh, assistant superintendents for the Assemblies of God. I met him in 2001. He was pastoring in Saxe, Texas, Saxe Assembly of God. Great church. And uh, I was at Convoy, and I went and met him. And he's just as sweet today as he was the day I met him. We become friends. We see him at different missions places, ministry places. Uh, over the years, he's been here. He's no stranger to Oak Grove. Um, so talented. Pastor, leader, executive. He's superintendent of the North Texas District for years. He was our treasurer for a few years, and then he became assistant superintendent of our fellowship. And uh, But more importantly, he's our friend. Oak Grove, welcome him to our church today as Pastor Rick DeBose comes and shares the word of God. Come on, you can do better than that. Give it up for our pastor. We love you. Take your liberty, brother. Yes, you will. Good to be here. Wow. Well, it is an honor to be back at Oak Grove, just down the street from where I live. I'm never there. On I'm always in an airport somewhere, going to some other place, who knows where, around the nation. It is nice to get in the car and drive down the road and go to church. I almost forgot what that felt like. It feels pretty good. And then uh, I think uh, we're going to have a man's only lunch later. I, I don't know about all this. No women in the house. My wife, uh, my wife, she, she should be here. You would have enjoyed her as always. She would have enjoyed you. But our oldest grandson is about to get married. And had, they had a shower yesterday in Dallas to get those two kids all the stuff they need to get their life off to a good start. And mamas and grandmas have to go to that stuff, but grandpas don't have to. Thank you, Jesus. And so I, I desperately missed the kids, but I didn't miss that experience. And uh, they're, I'm sure they've got all they need. If they don't, they'll call me and ask for it. I've figured out how this works already. And uh, so she's there with them and chose wisely. She drove. But she could have driven back today. I said, no, stay, go to church, have fun in Dallas. And, I'll see you when you get back. So I'm I'm batching it, and uh, I'm alone, but I'm at church. And I just if she asked, I did go to church today. She, you know, how wives keep up with husbands, and uh, so we're good to be here. Also, it's good to celebrate 21 years of continual ministry in the same church. That doesn't happen all the time. It speaks of both of you. It speaks of it speaks of a pastor who for 21 years just keeps coming back. But it also speaks of a church that keeps making room for the pastor's leadership and to be a part of the process. So both of you are to be celebrated today as a, as a church and as leadership of the church. Both have done well to get to this moment. You know, I travel, as I said, all the time, and I'm in a lot of meetings with a lot of different pastors in a lot of different circumstances. And I've come to believe that that little passage where God speaks to us and says that there have been works prepared in advance for us to do, can be tied to the scripture that says, according to the grace and the faith given you, that there's something about a pastoral leader who has understood his or her call, the grace given them, and the faith given them to fulfill the works prepared in advance for them. So that all pastors don't do the same thing. They're not all mega pastors, and they don't all pastor in the rural or in the inner city. But according to the grace and call of God, I've seen how God leads them and the ministry they do. And all we have to do is accomplish what God's called us to accomplish, do and fulfill the works prepared in advance for us to do. And when we do that, 
the kingdom advances at the proper rate and the way it should go. When we try to get ahead of that rate or we draw back on what God's doing, that's where the issues are. And I believe your pastor is where he's supposed to be in the midst of God's grace for him. And according to the faith, God has extended to you and this congregation as you advance forward. And we celebrate obedience to God. Somebody say amen. Amen. Wow. While we were in worship a while ago, I just felt a real sense to pray a special way before I preach this morning. I felt the Lord reminding me that he came in part to undo the works of the devil. He gives us a strong statement. Now, we know that when it comes to salvation, that the devil has brought mankind into sin, and he came to undo that work so that man can be restored back to his purpose with the Father and fulfill that process that God put in place. We understand the bigness of that statement. But we see Jesus again and again doing all kinds of things to undo the works of the devil. There's one time, or there's two times, where Jesus stepped in the middle of a funeral where death had got ahead of God's agenda and God's timing, and the work of the devil had manifest. One time, he just stopped a procession. The funeral was in process. He steps up, stops the procession. Can you imagine pulling in front of the lead car at a funeral and driving the hearse off to the side of the road, jumping out, opening the back door, pulling the, the coffin out. Wouldn't that be an exciting moment for everybody if they didn't arrest the guy doing it and he could actually get it done and then to open it up and raise that boy up? That's kind of what happened. Jesus interfered with the work of the devil. The devil had taken that boy before he was supposed to. He restored him back to his mother to finish the task that was unfinished. We know the story of Lazarus, how Lazarus came up, uh, died, and then in three days, Jesus shows up, says, move the stone. It's not his time. And he calls him out even after three days of deterioration in the flesh. He brings him forth, restores him, gives him life. Jesus comes to destroy the works of the devil. Somebody say amen to this. That's it. So while I'm standing there praying, I felt God saying, There's the, so the devil's been doing some things that I don't like, and they're not according to my plan or my pattern, and I've come to disrupt his plan today. I've come to destroy his work, to lose some things that have been held in bondage that have nothing to do with my will or my purpose or my plan. It's the plan of the enemy, and I want to intervene. I want to pull that hearse off to the side of the road. I want to pull some people out and restore some things and release some things. And I want us to begin to pray that way right now. I believe God's calling us to a place. How many of you believe God's a big God? How many of you believe God can do all things? How many of you believe that you can receive a faith right now that's above and beyond the faith that's naturally developed in you? It's a gift of faith to believe and receive what God wants to do in your life. If you need God to intervene and you feel like the devil's been having some ways in you and he's been doing some things in your family or your ministry, and you say in your heart, that's not God. God, that's not the will of God or the purpose of God. That's the devil cutting in on us and hindering what God would do. Would you just stand? If that's you, if you have the faith to stand, you believe that you just stand right now. And I'm going to pray over you. And we're going to believe God to work miracles in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. By the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The same Jesus who walked on this earth. Who stopped funerals. The same Jesus who healed the blind 
mind, the same Jesus who healed the lepers, the same Jesus who interfered and intervened and stepped in the path of the works that the devil had been doing and undid those works, turned back the clock, so to speak, brought healing where there had been disease, the same Jesus who has ascended to the Father and stands before him praying with us and on our behalf, interceding to the Father and declaring our needs before him and is praying right now over the needs that are standing around in this auditorium represented by the people who are here. In the name of Jesus, in the name of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, in the name of the healer who is Jesus, in the name of the Prince of Peace who is Jesus, in the name of the authority to whom all authority has been given, both in heaven and in earth. Jesus is his name. We come in his behalf and at his authority and at his directive under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And we bind every spirit of darkness, every work of the devil, every plan of the Satan himself, every scheme that has been brought about by demonic authority and in the realm of the demonic. We just take you on right now in Jesus' name. You have no authority. All authority has been given unto Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto him. He distributes that authority back to us in his name. We receive that authority and we bind up every spirit of darkness. We bind up every lie of the devil. We bind up everything you have done and we loose those you have put in bondage. We give freedom to those who have been held. We release those who have been hindered, who you have created problems for. You have given them difficulty. You are trying to hinder the will of God in their life. You have no more authority. In Jesus' name, we loose them. In Jesus' name, we receive freedom. In Jesus' name, we receive healing. In Jesus' name, we receive victory. In Jesus' name, we receive peace. In Jesus' name, in the power and authority and the victory of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, we bind works of the devil. We bind that feeling of heaviness. We bind that feeling of discouragement. We find that feeling in that heaviness that has hindered their walk and their faith. We loose them out of that. We free them from that. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let healing flow. Let healing flow. Let victory flow. Let eyes be open. Let ears be open. Let hearts be open. Let muscles be released. Let bones be healed. Let arthritis be gone. Let healing flow in this house. Let victory flow in this house in Jesus name in Jesus name for the Lord is our master the Lord is our master he determines our way he determines our path he determines our health he determines our victory Jesus is our God and our Savior we trust in the Lord we believe in the Lord we receive this miracle we receive the merit right now right now right now we receive the miracle I thank you, Lord, for the miracles. I thank you for the victories. I thank you right now. Right now, Holy Spirit, just intensify. Just become heavier right now, heavier, more, more, Holy Spirit, more dense, more weighty. Let the glory of the Lord just fill the house. Let the glory of God just come. And in the presence of your glory, demons run and scream in terror. In the presence of your glory, healing just flows. In the presence of your glory, there is divine restoration. There's divine strength. There's divine ability. There's a divine joy. There's a divine peace. Let the glory of the Lord just rest in this house. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just stand and receive right now. Just keep receiving. It's just getting heavier. It's getting stronger. It's getting more real. It's getting more sure. In the name of Jesus. Just tell him you love him. Just tell Jesus you love him. Just worship him. In the name of Jesus. But right now, grandkids are changing. Right now, children are changing. Right now, circumstances are changing. Right now, while we stand in this place, things are happening in other places. While we stand in your presence and declare your victory and declare you are king and Lord and have all authority, things are shifting in other realms and other areas. We're going to go home to phone calls that we didn't expect when we came this morning, but now we expect them. We're going to go home to new things. We're going to hear new things. In the weeks ahead, we're going to continue to see a shift because you have stepped in front of the devil's schemes and plans. Marriages are going to be restored. Kids are coming home. Miracles are happening in physical bodies. Things that have been dormant are coming back to life. The good things are being restored. The things of the enemy are dying, wilting on the vine. In the name of Jesus, we curse those things. Whatever mountain stands before us, in the name of Jesus, we command you, be cast into the sea. In the name of Jesus, the shift is taking place this morning, this morning, right now, right now. In the name of Jesus, we believe and we receive. We give you honor and glory, Father. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. How sweet is your presence. How sweet is your presence. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Things are changing on the job right now. Somebody on your job. You've been dealing with a thing on the job. and It's been very difficult at your workplace. Right now, God is shifting that. God is shifting that. If that's you, just wave at me. I want to pray particularly for you. There's been something going on on your job. All right, I see that hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, right now, you are reaching into that circumstance. The people involved, the people that are involved in that circumstance, the decisions that are being made, the attitudes that are there, all that's not right, all that's the work of the devil. Right now, we bind those things and we cast them out and we release peace and favor favor. Let it shift and let it change. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, things that have been hidden from those leaders are going to become very clear and obvious. And things, oh God, that that shouldn't be are going to be exposed and shifts are taking place right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, we thank you for answering that prayer for those Lord, where they work and what's happening right now in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God is a good God. God is a good God. God is a good God. Whatever you're waiting for, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, I pray for the children. If you have a child that's not living like they should live, Hold your hands up right now. If you have a child not living like they should, hold your hands up. Father, in the name of Jesus, we're just parents. We may have 
We may bemoan how we've done things. We may wish we'd done things. But it is what it is. But you're still God. And you know how to reach our children. You know how to reach them where they are, reach into their thought process, how they reason, how they consider who has spoken. You have the ability to reach all the way to divide even the bone from the marrow. You know, God, how to divide the soul from the spirit. You have no no shortness of arm. You can reach all the way to the main issue in the name of Jesus. Turn that thing around. In the name of Jesus, change their thinking. Change their understanding. Change and awaken what has been asleep. Give eyes to those who have been spiritually blind. Ears to those who have not listened to you. And a broken and humble spirit and a faith to follow. In the name of Jesus, stir those children Whatever decision they're making, wherever they are, whatever their issues, God, in the name of Jesus, we declare our children as your children, our children as your servants, fulfilling your purpose for their life. For you did not give us these children to populate hell. You gave us these children to populate heaven. It is not the will, your will, that they would go away or go astray. It is your will that they would be redeemed. So now, Lord, cut in on the devil and make him turn loose of what he has been doing and release and run in his own terror and in fear make him run from our kids, for they will be raised up and anointed by the Holy Spirit to do great and mighty things for your kingdom. We just receive it in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Lord, we apply that to our grandchildren and great-grandchildren, for our descendants, that all of our descendants would do and receive what they should in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, anoint this time in the Word this morning. Let Let us benefit from it. Let it be bread to our soul. Let it release faith in us. Let it cleanse what should be cleansed. Empower what should be empowered. This is your word. You anoint it, God, for your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I can preach now. But I felt like the Lord wanted to do that. Amen? Yeah, that's good. Give the Lord a hand for what he's just done. I don't think that's a bad idea. Amen. Amen. Now, I want you to do something. I won't be here. It doesn't matter. But I want you to begin to testify to the pastor and share the victories that God has begun today and what he's done over this little moment. I believe it's a divine moment for us. And I just want you to hold on to it and believe it and walk it out and then celebrate it because testimonies produce faith for another testimony. You tell me what God did for you. It gives me faith to let him do it for me. And something happens. When we hold those testimonies to ourselves, we're robbing the kingdom. So just uh, be quick to say, you know what? We had that prayer two weeks ago, and this is what's happened since, Pastor. And begin to share that. All of us will. It'll begin to shift for all of us. I'm going to preach a message this morning. I'm going to call the mature church. Maturity has very little to do with age. It has some to do with age because it takes time to become mature. But in all honesty, I've met some old and mature people. Yeah, three or four of you had the nerve to laugh on that one. The rest of you will come in here later. Actually, I don't blame you for thinking, is he talking about me? 
<laughs> yeah, I get that. It's a moment for all of us. No, because sometimes in my own self, I find myself doing immature things. And I go, a guy your age should know better than that. And God spoke to me one day and said, it's not about your age. It's about your ability to learn, grow, and develop. Because there are young people who are mature, and there are old people who are not. Somebody say amen right there. Because it just, I just want you to, and there are churches who are old but not mature. And there are churches who are young, and they got it. They've matured in the things of God. That brought me to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, and he says this. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Everybody say love. As each part does its work. Somehow in the midst of this, he's teaching us that maturity and the ability to love are connected to each other. That loving and maturing is developed. When we're young, when we're young, we have a tendency to love ourselves the most. And as we get older, we learn to love others. And then as we learn to really love others, we find that in those decisions made out of love, they're wise, good, mature decisions. Decisions made out of fear or worry or concern are usually not mature and wise decisions. And there's something powerful about his connection here to maturity and love. And as we begin to understand that, we, we there's a lot. There's a lot. So when I was reading through this, I thought about the disciples. He only had three and a half years to mature the disciples and get them ready to pick up the mantle he was about to drop. He only had three and a half years. And so what was it he did in order to teach them about maturity? And how did he finish his process? I thought about it, and I went to the end of the process, which we find it in John 13 and 12. And here's what he said. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you not understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done. He takes all of the ministry of three and a half years. They followed him. They were sent by him. They were talked, taught by him. They were encouraged by him. And sometimes they got in trouble with him standing in front of them. All of that culminates in this divine moment on this evening with him washing their feet. And he says to them, here's the end and the final lesson. And the real proof of your maturity is that you can serve one another, that you can love one another, that the mature church is a serving church. The mature church is a loving, serving church. The mature Christian is a loving, serving Christian. It's not the great leader. It's not the one who writes the most books. It's the one who serves best that has become mature. So I thought about that, and then I went back through the Scripture, and I began to just kind of follow key moments when he put the spotlight on serving or on servants. What was he trying to teach them when he did that? The first thing I saw was in Matthew 14 and 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. 
you give them something to eat. Well, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Now, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. This story is showing them the importance of serving others first. See, the truth is, what? What they can learn from this is so cool. One of the things is this, was they saw the need the others had because it was their need first. How many times do we realize there's a need because it's our need, and God says to us, well, if it's your need, isn't it also the need of others? What they were doing was saying, go send these people away to get some food so that we can go away and get some food. What they were really saying was, Lord, we're hungry, and I'm sure they are too. And so send them away, and we can do something about our hunger. Sometimes God lets us see a need so that we will know the importance of the need, but let us know that we're not the only one with that need. And so we, he said, you see the need, not so I can meet your need, but so I can use you to meet that same need in other people. Wow. The mature church sees the need not as something that they have, but something that the church has, and they give themselves to helping the church fulfill that need, even if it's not their own church. Ah, that's kind of heavy right there, Pastor. No, I get it. I get it. It's doing for others what you need done for you. That's that's maturity. That's maturity. I see that you all have that need. How do you know it? Because I have the same need. I understand the hunger pains. I understand the weakness. I understand that he hasn't fed us all day either. I understand that I need a miracle, and I see that you need the same miracle. And so what did they do? God called on them to use what little resource they had. By the way, they didn't have enough to feed themselves. Most of the time when the, when the mature church realizes it has a need and realizes others have the same need, it doesn't have the ability to meet its own need. It needs a miracle just as much as anyone. And so what did he do? He said, you have this revelation that others need help. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to take what little bit you have and begin to use it to help others rather than feed yourself. See, they didn't know how many loaves they had. They didn't know how many fish they had. Why do you think they know? Because they were hungry. Because they were searching to see where can we get us a meal. And if we get these people out of here, we'll get this little boy over here and we'll share his lunch. <laughs> I mean, they, they're thinking like, like normal people think. That's just pretty normal. But God said, no, I want you to flip that script. And I want you to let this become your ability. And here's what happens. As they served others first, while they were still hungry, some things began to happen. The first thing that happened is they began to see a miracle that the miracle didn't come when they were trying to feed themselves. The miracle came when they used what they had to feed others. I mean, a miracle took place. They're still hungry. They're feeding while they're hungry, and they're watching a miracle take place. The mature church walks in the miraculous more than the immature church because the mature church is focused on others and not on itself. Something dynamic happens when we begin to get this principle, and it's the mature Christian. When I say church, the church is just made up of us, and when we begin to understand that I have this need, I wonder if someone else has this need. Well, yes, many other people have this need. I wonder, Lord, if you would use me to meet their need. 
Well, what about your need? I'll trust you with my need if you'll anoint me. Well, I don't have enough to meet their need, but I'm going to do a little something that I can. Now, here's what happened with them. You know the story as well as me. God blessed what they had. He put it back in their hands, only not to go into their mouth. He put it in their hands to be distributed. And sometimes what God gives us, we eat it before the miracle takes place. Sometimes when we should be delivering to others, we're giving it to ourselves, and it ends with when our bellies are full. But that's not what he had planned. So he said, now you go give it. So they begin to break the pieces. I can see John over there. He's, he's got a little piece of fish, and he's got 50 people. He's got a group of 50 because he had them sit down in groups of 50 and 100. And he breaks that little piece off and puts it to the guy on the front row, and he got a little more for this guy, and he gives a little more to this guy. And then he looks at his hand. He's got just as much as he had before he started. And he said, boy, this is... This is different. And so he breaks off another piece and another piece, and then he begins to realize there's a miracle taking place in my hand. When I'm giving to others, I can't run out. When I'm giving it away, I can't find the end of it. When I'm not trying to feed me but feed others, there's a miracle that kicks in and begins to take place. When we begin to focus, the mature church gets where it is. It learns to focus outside. It learns to say, no, it's about somebody else. It's not about us. And the more he gave away, it just kept happening. Finally, he's back about three rows deep, and he hollers over it. None of this is in the Scripture. You just have to find it on your own, and you have to make it up when you're preaching. That's the truth. But it makes your point really well and so i see him on about roll number three and he hollers over at peter and his group peter he said what john he said is it happening over there like it's happening over here he said it's unbelievable he said i can breaking up these little pieces of fish and then i just this was a little i just had a little piece of fish and i still have the same little piece of fish only now i'm in row four and i've been feeding all these other people the fish and the bread and i can't seem to run out that's incredible and then somebody else matthew hollers it even works for tax collectors this is incredible i mean miracles happen when you begin to be generous with others some Something begins to happen. None of them had taken a bite yet. None of them had begun to eat. They didn't taste what they were given. They postponed the meeting of their own need in order to meet the need of someone else. That's maturity. That's mature. If you have children, you know you do that. You feed them first. If we're about out of food, the kids get fed anyway. There's something shift. And in the, in the maturing of the church, there's something that shifts. That we reach a place where it's not about us, it's about others. Where if we have a need, that just lets us know there is a need. And let's find somebody else with that need. And let's use what little bit we have to help with their need. And then what's the miracle? As we begin to help them, the miracle just keeps coming. And all the, and it's just an incredible thing. That's what happens in mature churches and mature Christians. They practiced the miracle. They saw the miracle. They they saw. They participated in the miracle. And then at the end of the miracle, it was incredible because Jesus said, they're all pretty amazed. They just fed who knows how many people. The scripture says 5,000 men, if they all brought their wives with them, half of them probably did. Some of them brought kids. Who knows? Maybe 10,000. What we know is when they got through, they still had those few little pieces of fish. And Jesus said, here's some baskets. Go back through and see any other pieces that are just left. And they pick them up, and they have a basket full each. They all come back with their basket full. And here's the thing. Because they were willing to postpone the filling up of their bellies, they all left with a full basket. Something shifts once we make others our priority. Once we're mature enough in our faith, and we make others and we love others more than we love ourselves. 
Once we do it, that's a maturing process that literally shifts what you can be trusted with. Now he gives you a basket full because you've learned that it's not just about you that the church exists. And it's not just for you that we get together, that we are here for others and a dynamic shift. It's that part of that maturing that Jesus was trying to teach them when he washed their feet. He said, if you guys paid any attention to what I've been telling you, the power of this kingdom is not in being its authority, but being its servant. Wow. And then he teaches us another miracle. I look all the way back, John 2, 5. It's the first miracle of Jesus. The very first miracle of Jesus. It's the servants that he uses. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, she had already called him. You know this story. And said that they're running out of wine. And Jesus said, what does that have to do with me? My hour's not yet come. Not my moment. Sometimes mamas know our moment better than we know our moment. And she said, yes, it is. He said, no, it's not. And I don't know what all took place. And that's a little, we don't go there because it's almost Mother's Day. And we're just really careful on how we deal with that scripture right there. And Jesus she, Jesus is having the discussion. And like a good mom, she just walks off. She just, just quits talking to him. And she just walks over and sees some servants. She said, whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And that's the end of that. And off she's gone. And Jesus said, what am I going to do with that woman? You just read it. He said that. What will I do with her? And then he said to him, all right, go fill up the barrels with water, those big pots. Now, these are, look at this. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These are big. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now, now draw out some and take it to the master of the banquet. They're like, what? We're going to take him water? Just do it. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. He didn't know any of that. He didn't know. Just being served. Though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside. He said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have already had too much to drink. He said, after they're drunk, that's what he said. But you have saved the best until now. Here's what we learned from that story. Number, number, it's my next statement. He who participates, the servants that participate in the miracle gets to see what everyone else misses. By prayer and participation in any level, in any way, in the miracle, we get to recognize the miracle when the average attender doesn't even know it took place. I mean, it, we don't even know. They, they, didn't, they didn't know. So everybody else is at this wedding. They didn't know. Only people that knew were the servants. He told sir, you go get the water. Servants got the water. Servants fill the water. Now, you draw out the water. You take it to, and they did, and the miracle took place. Can you imagine those servants when they looked up and said, nobody here knows what just happened? I mean, this whole crowd just think he saved the best wine for last. They think somehow that, that he held back and that the bridegroom determined not to serve. They all believe that, and it's not true. The truth is, just a few minutes ago, that was water. 
just a few moments ago, we were out of wine, we were in trouble, we didn't know what we were going to do, and all we could find was water. But if you'll give God what you have, he'll do something with it you didn't know he could do. They saw that. Who knew that? Only the servants knew it. Can you imagine the discussion among the servants? Did you see that? That's the greatest thing. Have you tasted? No, let me try. That is incredible. It's the best I've ever had. They said, look what he did. Who did that? What's his name? His name's Jesus. It's Mary's son. And remember, this is the beginning of his ministry. This is his first miracle. They're like, who is this guy? I just wonder how many of those servants, because we don't know, we have no way of knowing, begin to be followers of Jesus early in the process because they had seen Jesus in a way no one else had seen Jesus because the servants get to see things no one else gets to see. The serving church, the mature serving church is going to know Jesus in a way nobody else knows Jesus. They're going to see Jesus work in a way nobody else sees him work. And they're going to see the miracles for what they are when others just think, oh, well, it just happened. No, it didn't just happen. Those who become servants with Christ, those who serve him in prayer and participate with him in the giving by faith. Those who become a part of the process get to see Jesus in a way other churches and other Christians don't get to see Jesus. They know him in a way others don't know him. Others know Jesus for the shout on a Sunday morning worship service and they get in their car and go home. But those who come and serve, those who are here early, those who are here at the prayer meeting the week during the week, some whenever it is, praying it through, those who are participant in the process, who are drawing out the water, who are giving what they can't afford. When it's all said and done, those other folks have a good experience getting a car and go home. But the servants get to see Jesus in a way nobody else gets to see Jesus. And they get to see his miracle like no one else sees the miracle. When they go home, there's two different conversations. One goes home and says, Look how God fed me. The other one goes home and said, did you see what God did? Did you see the miracle? Because when we got there this morning, we were out of wine, but God provided it. When we got there this morning, we didn't know how we were going to pay the bills, but God came through. When we got there this morning, we didn't know this or this or this. All we knew was we had a need, but we saw our God. And they see God differently. The serving church, that mature church who has reached the the, the epitome of what it means to be a Christian, they see Jesus like no one else sees Jesus. That last one that I, I want to cover, just uh, you're, I see your clock and you're good. See, I just saved you a whole moment of looking at your clock, but four of you did it, and I saw you do it when I said that. All right, First Kings, I'm having fun with you. First Kings 18.24, this is Elijah when he was on Mount Carmel. And uh, and the devil had already had the day, and they had already the prophets of Baal had done their best and couldn't get fire. They had done their best, but they couldn't get it. He steps up, and then he rebuilds the altar. Y'all know that part of the story, so I'm just I'm not telling you all of that. He gets the altar built, the sacrificing the wood, everything there. He's already dug a trench, and then he says to some guys, "Now I want you to go get some water, and I want you to pour water on the sacrifice." And so they did. Now, you got to think about this. I'm going to start my reading in verse 24 in just a minute. But you got to think about this. They they had to, where are they going to get water on top of Mount Carmel? It's not like, oh, yeah, go over there and turn the fountain on and fill this thing up. And no, it's not there. If you've ever been to been been there and you've been on Mount Carmel, some, some of you have, 
you know that the closest water is probably all the way back down to, at the lake or down to the Sea of Galilee. It's a pretty long walk. There may be some other places around, but nothing close, nothing close that was access. Even And it hadn't been raining, so there were no brooks. Remember, they'd been in a drought for three years. That was kind of what brought them to where they are. So there was no runoff. There was nothing. You had to go down to the original water source. So he says, so, so they bring it up, and they pour it on there. And then look in verse 24. He said, now do it again. And he said, he said, and, and they did it again. And then he said, do it a third time. He ordered, and they did it a third time. And the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And then they went down the mountain. So here, what I want to say, let's just let's stop right there. So these are servants again. He calls servants. One more time, it's the servants. It's the guys just serving. They're not there. They're not a part of the prophets of Baal. They're, no, they're not the king's group or leaders. No, he just finds servants. When the servants go down Mount Carmel, and they get to the to the water, and they fill their, their jugs up, and they bring them up, and they pour them out on the sacrifice. And they all say, that's this is going to be pretty cool because of wet fire. I mean, you know, with water, that's going to make this a greater miracle. That's exciting. I'm glad we got to participate. And he looks over at me, He says, do it again. And they say, do you know how long it takes and how far it is and how heavy water is? Do you, do you understand what you're asking? We've already done it. That's the thing about servanthood, though is sometimes he just asks us to do it again. But why would I do it again? Because it's already, you got to know, this is going to be great. He said, do it again. He said, I, they, they, <laughs> okay. And so they're going to, can you imagine the conversation going down the hill with that group? The guy's crazy. I mean, he's over, you look at him, you tell he's not normal. And I mean, he's, he's just a prophet. Prophets are weird people anyway. We all know that. And then he's got us doing all this. I don't know about you guys. I don't. I mean, I'm going to do it, but I, I'm afraid he'll call fire on me because you heard about the 50 guys he called fire down on and they burn them all up. So we don't want that. And so they get the and they work their way back and they pour it out and they say, there it is. That's good and wet. Now he said, hmm, do it again. And now, now they're leaving the church and they're saying, I'm not coming back there anymore. I'm getting me another church. This is, there's something wrong with that church. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over, expect to get a different result. Come on now. They just, they had changed. They got all these problems doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result. It's called insanity. We know that. And he's asking us to keep doing it again and do it again, do it again. We did it last Sunday. We did it Sunday before that. As a matter of fact, we've been doing the same thing for 21 years now. So the world says doing the same thing again and again, expecting a different result is called insanity. But often in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's called faithfulness. Do it again. The servants just did it again. They were preparing for an answer by fire. They were preparing for something. They didn't even know what they were doing. They didn't understand the connection. They didn't know why God was being so repetitious, why he was saying do it again. Lord, we've been going to prayer meeting now for 21 years, and I hadn't seen the fire fall yet, and he says do it again. Lord, I've been doing this and this and this, and I hadn't seen the breakthrough. I thought I've been faithful to all of this. When are you going to do it? He said, I don't know. I mean, I know, but you don't know, but do it again. And there's something about the servant that just keeps doing it again. Jesus talked about the servant who'd been in the field all day. When he come into the master, he didn't sit down and feed himself. He still had to feed the master before he could sit down. You know, there's something about a mature church that grasps and understands and embraces the idea of servanthood. 
He says, I'm just a servant, Lord. I'm not trying to be great or mighty or something incredible. Just trying to be a servant. We understand this power. It's very important that it's those little things. There's a book out years ago called Seven Habits of Highly Highly Successful People. And what the guy's study proved was this. These great successful people weren't successful because of something they did great. It was because of what they did consistent that made them great. There's something about that do it again, that continuation, that repetition. And servants just do it again. They did it yesterday. They're going to do it tomorrow. And they may complain a little bit, but they need to get over it pretty quick because they got to move on. But they didn't understand. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, I, I, I preach, I teach on this stuff that for leadership, you know, and I talk about, I talk about be careful that you never get too caught up in a structure or a system. Or don't ever marry a structure or a system. Don't become betrothed to it. It's just a system. It's just a structure. The structure that got you here will keep you. The structure God gave you that that, that you hang the vine on. Once that vine is taken over that structure, now that structure becomes a hindrance. It was a help until it reached a certain point of maturity. But now you've got to disconnect it and you've got to tear that one down and build a bigger one. Leave the roots in place. Keep the life going, but give it a chance to grow and expand that the structure that got you here will keep you here. I teach that. I, I believe in all that. But here's the flip side. The flip side is sometimes we keep coming up with new structures so often we can't even get roots or barrier with the last structure. We become impatient, and we don't give it time to fulfill its potential and its purpose. Knowing when to leave it alone and when to move it is a, is a divine act of God. We need to hear his direction. But often God is telling us to just keep doing the same thing over and over because it's still the thing. We're going to keep preaching the same gospel. You say, well, it's not. Well, I'm going to keep preaching the same gospel because it's still the truth and it's still the only gospel that will set men free. I'm going to keep praying for the sick. Nobody got healed last week. That's all right. Bring them back next week. We're going to pray again because sometimes there's a breakthrough that comes when you least expect it. All we know is it's what he said to do. And then he said, do it again. We know that he said, go to prayer meetings. We're going to go to prayer meetings. We said, he, he said, read your Bible every morning. Spend time in prayer. Well, that's my interpretation of it. But spend time in the word and in prayer and in devotion. Do it again. I'm not seeing a great change. Probably you don't realize that where you would have been if you hadn't been doing is a lot worse than where you are, that it's having more impact than you thought it was having. And so you get up and do it again. And so you do, you forgive and you say, how many times do I forgive? Well, Jesus said, well, should we, they ask him, should we forgive him? Seven times, Lord, I think seven is a good holy number. It's a biblical number. It's a God number. It's how many days are in the week. I think if I forgive him seven times, I'd be finished. Jesus said, I have a better idea. How about 70 times seven? He said, what do you mean? Just keep doing it again. Just keep forgiving. Well, I forgave him. Forgive him again. This is to somebody. You were thinking already, I'm through forgiving them. They've, they've lost the right to be forgiven. Well, so did you. How many times has he forgiven you? As soon as you have forgiven them more times than Jesus has had to forgive you, then you can quit doing it. But you will never get there because we will always continually, constantly just need to do it again. We keep hoping he does it again, and we need to do it again. There's something powerful about that level of servanthood that just he says, do it again, I'll do it again. He wants more water, I'll get more water. Now, all this is going to make sense in just a minute. That's why we're still having church on Sundays. That's why we've been doing it for however many years the church is old and and 21 under your leadership. It's why we keep coming to church. And some days we say, well, last Thursday, it wasn't that good. 
I mean, Pastor, he's been better. I mean, he wasn't exactly on his game. I just, I think he was as bored as we were. It was a rough day for all of us, and I I don't know. And Y'all, that was 14 years ago, if you're wondering when that day was. It's been a long time ago now. It hadn't happened in a long time. But but we have those days. Worship team just wasn't, I just didn't feel anything. I don't think it made a difference in my life. I could have stayed home and watched something on TV and got, and we said, no, 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 you're going to get up and do it again. I'm going to do it again because it's not just about what I get because I'm a servant. It's about what I can give. Sometimes my presence is worth something. I'm going to do it again. Come to find out somebody says, you know, you said the right thing I needed to hear. God used me? Yeah. What if you hadn't been here? Do it again. Do it again next week. You do it again. Sometimes it's it's that that doing it again. We've, we've done this evangelism outreach three times. We've not seen anyone saved. Somebody says, well, God's called us to do it again. And then that's the time. We're still praying. We're still giving. We're still, we just keep doing it again. There's power, there's power in the servant because the servant does it because he's told to. Does that make sense? Some of us try to figure out why we should do it. Well, in the clarity of the mature church, they do it because God said do it. Now, here's the end of the story. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't get it. They didn't see the value in it. They just were good servants. And then he prays the prayer. I got to quit preaching now. And then he prays the prayer. I just steps up. And he said, God. Let these people know that there is a God in Israel and that I'm their servant. And when he said that, fire began to come through the heavens. Can you imagine that moment watching that fire fall? Can you imagine? Wouldn't that be cool? It's a little like Pentecost would be in Acts chapter 2. The fire fell. And when it hit the sacrifice, are you ready for this? When it hit the sacrifice, the scripture says the first thing it did was it consumed the offering. The second thing was it consumed the wood. Well, of course, it's supposed to consume the wood. But it didn't stop. God's fire was pretty aggressive. Then it consumed the stones. That was a that was a little, y'all better step back. We don't know how far this thing's going to go. And then it consumed the dust. And then it consumed all the water in the trench. And then it calmed down. And it dawned on them. The fire only went where the water had already been poured out. See, what you're doing in obedience is preparing for what God's going to do next. I love that passage that says that being washed with the water of the word of God, it's a New Testament passage. There is something about the word of God preceding the fire of God. We keep preaching and we say, when's it going to work? You keep telling those friends at work about Jesus and what the Bible says. You keep speaking the word into your family. And then God says, do it again. You said, Lord, I have told them everything I know. 
I've even started making up stuff. I, I don't have, I don't, I don't even know what to say next. I don't have any new ideas. I've told you, he said, do it again. Lord, I, if I, if I do it again, they're, they're thinking I'm crazy. He said, that's the only thing that person knows how to say is the same thing they've already said. He said, that's all right. Do it again. And what you don't know is you're putting the word of God ahead of the fire that's going to fall. And one of these days you're going to look up and realize that as a good servant, we were preparing our community, our families, our workplaces for the next outpouring of the Holy Spirit of God. That like a fire begins to go everywhere the word has been, everywhere the water has been poured out. While we were just being good servants, we didn't know we were making room for the next move of God. It's easy to begin to think more about me and about how hard it is to go back down that hill. And bring heavy water pots back up. But the mature church says to itself again and again, but it's not about me. I'm an obedient servant. Something dynamic shifts as churches begin to mature to that place where they understand their need is just to show them the need of someone else, that they begin to walk in the miracle of helping someone else and watching the miracle take place for someone else. And then they begin to understand that that miracle allows them to know God like no one else knows God and see God in a way. And they live in that miracle. And then God says, now do it again and do it again. And they just keep doing it. And they keep thinking, Lord, when does my meal come? What you don't, what we know though, is God always has a basket full at the end of the day and that his servants are the best cared for servants on the face of the earth. There's nothing like being the servant of all. And a mature church is a church of servants. And a mature Christian knows how to wash feet. Amen? Father, we thank you for this word today. It's so simple. It's not hard. It's not deep. It's just, just what you taught us, both in example and all four of these stories. And scripturally, in proof, again and again, and in teaching, and in New Testament teaching, again and again, you're calling the mature church, and you're calling the church to maturity, to love at the level that will cause others to be more important than us. You even said the greatest, the greatest law is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then you added, and your neighbor as yourself. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that there would be a fresh anointing to love and care for others in this great church. That the ability to make others more important, other churches, other ministries, other purposes, that we begin to see the miracle that happens when we focus on others' needs, putting ourselves behind them, trusting you to bring a basket by when the time is right for us. But not just as a church. I pray it for every person in this building. Some have been living for you a long time, but they're not as mature as they should be. I pray that maturity would become what this church is famous for. Not age, but mature Christ-like living. That every one of us would be known because we are good at serving and we do it again and again and again. 
And Lord, when the release and the fullness of our prayers have reached their their epitome, when those vows have been made full and you pour them out and the fire begins to fall and one more Pentecost begins to come, that all the work we have done in obedience will suddenly be be made known and it'll become valuable and understandable. And we'll look back and say, I just wish I would have done it one more time. I wish I could have poured out a little more water. I, I wish some more people had have been, been covered with the word of God and made room. Don't let that be our prayer. Let us be able to say we did well. We were good servants. But in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us to become the mature church you've called us to be, the mature people. Grow us in our maturity. In Jesus' name. As we wrap up this morning, if you just close your eyes and bow your heads. If you've come in today and you've not given your heart to God, you've been holding back. He's been working on you. He's been talking to you. He's been showing you some things. He's been crowding in on you. Things you thought were going to go one way didn't go that way because he didn't let them. Because he loves you too much to get caught up in something that's only going to carry you to hell. He keeps intervening and getting in your way, saying, no, no, I have a better way, and my way ends up in heaven. Today you've come saying, wow, I really do need to give my heart to the Lord. I really do need to surrender my way to him. I do believe he's God. I do believe he'll forgive my sins. I need to, I need to submit to that and receive it. If that's where you are today, if, if that's who you are, Today is your day. It's not something you need to do tomorrow. If you don't do it today, you would need to, but you don't need to wait because this is your moment. This is your time. If that's you, just wave at me. Let me pray for you. Anywhere, anybody, I'm just scanning the auditorium. Anyone would say, that's me. I need to surrender to Jesus, give my life to him. All right. I didn't see anyone. I think one thing we can all do, we can all surrender our life to being a better servant. God, take me to the next level of servanthood. So, Father, I pray for this incredible group of people who are celebrating 21 years of of their pastor's leadership. I pray the anointing of the Holy Spirit to lead by example of serving would rest upon this entire congregation. I pray you would do in them what you need to do in them to empower them to be servants at a whole new level. Not that where they are is immature, but there's another level. We want to get there. We want to see the miracle of God that we've been missing. We want to participate in that miracle. We want to know you like we've not known you. Father, by your power and hand, bring revelation and truth to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't God good? Oh, let's do that again. Isn't God good? He met with us today, didn't he? He's worked some miracles. He loves you very much. And I think you are a mature church. The maturity doesn't have to do with the average age in the house. The maturity has to do with 
the level of servanthood in the house. And we want to be, I want this church, I want to hear stories about that church. I want to say that's the servantist church. They always put others first. They look just like Jesus. That's who you are. And you do that because you have a pastor that's doing that. Pastor, come wrap this thing up. God bless you. Give your pastor a hand as he comes this morning.